Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 146. So I'm recording this, of course, on Mondays, as I love to do. It's Monday, August 30th, 2021. So you know what that means. That means summer is ending and I am so bummed. Of course, there were all these things I wanted to do this summer that I didn't have a chance to do. But as um, I mentioned last week, I did get to go on a little trip to Portland, Maine, which I absolutely loved and it totally rejuvenated me. So I'm looking forward to maybe doing something fun in the fall, but I am most definitely a summer person. I don't know about you, what your favorite season is, but summer for me is absolutely hands down favorite. Um, so the other thing, there was something I wanted to mention. I totally forgot already, um, what I was going to mention. So hopefully it'll pop into my mind, but, um, you know, since it is turning into fall, um, and, you know, I always think of September as the other January where people tend to get super motivated, uh, to take on new goals, especially around learning, because hello, everybody is going back to school, the kids and college kids and that kind of thing. So even if you're not enrolled in school or university of some kind, it is a time where people naturally think about um, what are some new things I want to take on? What are some new things I want to learn? And so I always, you know, I'm curious for you as a yoga teacher, what are your goals for the fall? Um, and throughout the rest of this year, um, because there are a lot of new trainings out there starting, I'm actually going to be teaching anatomy for some new trainings that kick off in September. Are you thinking of enrolling in some kind of training program? The reason I wanted to bring this up is because I wanted to start out by just speaking to it, you know, kind of as an idea, especially, you know, to catch some of you who are eager to sign up for something before you just kind of do the knee jerk thing and sign up for something because it's hours based and you're going to get to check the box, uh, the yoga Alliance box that says I gained these hours. I want you to just think about, you know, what do you really feel is missing right now in your teaching before you do that? And you know, I don't necessarily think being driven by an interest in getting more hours. I just don't think that should be the primary focus. What I'd much rather you do is really think about what am I missing in my teaching? 
you know, what, how's, what do I want to do as a teacher that's not available to me right now? How do I want to show up as a teacher that's not available to me right now? Matter of fact, I recently recorded, if you listen to episode 143, I reviewed a whole list of teaching goals that you could use to kind of do a little self-evaluation. So I highly encourage you to go back to that episode and go through that exercise. It'll probably take you about 30 minutes and it'll be well worth it because it's really designed to uncover what are some areas where you might feel there's a disconnect in your teaching. And, you know, oftentimes we don't really think of it in that way. We think about, oh, I have to learn this. But in reality, what it's really more about is we really want to gain certain skills. And when you walk back those skills to what you need to know to have those skills, that's how you start to identify gaps in your knowledge. And then once you're armed with that information, you're much better able to make really smart choices around what kind of trainings you want, rather than being driven by that goal that's really driven by an industry, our industry, that says, oh, you have to have these number of hours. You really don't have to have those hours. I mean, it's something that has been held out as a standard. And yes, of course, I think having 200 hours as your basic training under your belt is necessary. But once you get that, I really believe that what you do beyond that is really up to you and what you want to do as a teacher, how you want to show up, how you want to be, who you want to be working with. And so I really encourage you to, you know, use a lot more intention and discretion around what you do for training and let it be driven by you, what you want, what you need. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. I think it really is actually a fun exercise to go through. Um, I want to thank also all the new subscribers to the podcast that have joined, especially via Podbean, which when I hosted my podcast here on Podbean three years ago, I had no idea it had so many people on it. I kind of thought iTunes was the premier platform. Um, when I log into Podbean every day to check my podcast stats, I'm always amazed that uh, there are new users, new people, that their little profiles will pop up as being connected to my podcast. So I want to thank anybody that found me on Podbean, of course, the people who have found me on iTunes. Um, and I definitely want to thank people who have sent me emails or direct messages on Instagram to say, hey, I listen to your podcast and I really enjoy it, or just send me little comments about things that hit home for them. I really, really appreciate that. It, it is a little disconnecting to use this method of communicating with teachers because I'm just speaking out into the void. So whenever I can hear from you guys, it's really, really helpful. Even if it's to say, look, I feel, you know, I wish you would talk more about this or less about that. You know, you can always feel free to give me some critique as well. Um, the one thing I would say though, is if you are listening to me via iTunes and you can take a moment to write a review, I would totally appreciate it. You know, right now there are some reviews on there, which I love. It's just that they are sort of old. So it'd be nice to get some new reviews up there. So if you have a minute to go on your iTunes, pull up my podcast and just write a couple words, I would really be thrilled to just get the word out from you as a listener as to what you like about the podcast. 
Now, I also have really exciting news, which is I'm going to be launching my signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program in September. And the last time I opened enrollment was back in June. And the teachers who enrolled then are all well underway in the program. In fact, one of them in particular, I want to note, and I don't want to mention her name because she didn't give me the okay to do this, but she is just someone that I am so thrilled to work with. She's a wounded warrior. She's a service person who's fought in the military and she wants to work with veterans. And we had such an amazing coaching call on Friday and we were able to go over questions that she had and also do some practice teaching. And I think this is ultimately, you know, when you enroll in my program, it's, it's not just a course. You may think, oh, she's promoting a course she has. It's a program and the coaching calls are an integral part of the program. And I just, I love when I get on the Zoom calls with the teachers in my program. And this call with, with this teacher was no different, the one that I had on Friday, doing practice teaching with her, going over questions, having my skeleton nearby. It just is such an interactive way to learn and really bring all this information to light. Um, so I wanna just let you know, to kick off the launch this time, I'm gonna be using a format I've never used before, which is um, a live workshop format. So I want you to take note of the three dates I'm going to be doing workshops. These are free workshops that are going to be held on Facebook. I'm going to be setting up a special Facebook group. Matter of fact, I already have just for this launch. And the dates are going to be September 9th, September 14th, and September 16th, all at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Now, if you can't make one of them or all of them, but you wanna watch them, guess what? The recordings will be in the Facebook group. And once my launch is done, which will be later in September, um, the Facebook group will go away. So this is really just a temporary Facebook group I'm setting up just to host these workshops in, just to do my launch in, just to support the teachers who are motivated and interested to participate in these workshops, to learn from these workshops. It's a place where you'll be able to ask questions. It'll be off my general Facebook page and just in this group where teachers have specifically said, I wanna be part of this experience. I wanna learn more about these teaching skills that Karen's gonna talk about in these sessions. Because really guys, that's what these workshops are about. Rather than me doing a deep dive into anatomy, I'm gonna fast forward to the kinds of skills. If you're like a lot of the teachers I talk to, they're the kinds of skills that I know that you probably wanna build and not understanding anatomy sufficiently is holding you back. And these are the skills I always talk about, how to cue more effectively, how to build sequences easily and without a lot of time and how to answer students' questions without feeling like, oh my God, I'm not sure how to answer this person's question. So the three workshops I'm doing are going to be specifically focused on those three skills, how to cue, how to build sequences, how to answer student questions. I'm going to give you the tactical how-tos around those things. And the bottom line is I'm probably going to be bringing up things that you're going to say to yourself, you know, I really think I need to learn anatomy in order to do these things well. And that's not going to be a problem either, because after we do the three workshops, I'm going to open enrollment for the Blueprint Learning Program, and you're going to have an amazing opportunity in the following week to sign up for the program. And the other thing I want to let you know is this. 
for anybody who is listening to this that's even the slightest bit interested when you join the waitlist for my program and the link is right on my homepage you are going to have an opportunity to get a 10% off coupon off the program should you decide to enroll and the only thing you need to do to get the coupon is when you join the waitlist you just need to email me why why are you joining the waitlist what has inspired you to take this step and then I will get your reply and I'll send you the coupon and you'll be able to use it if you decide to enroll when I open enrollment uh, in September, which will be uh, September. La la la. Just gonna look at the dates on my calendar here. September 20th through the 24th. And that's the week following the, the workshops. So the takeaways that you need to know are the dates of the workshops, September 9th, 14th, and 16th. How to watch the workshops, how to participate in the workshops is via my new Facebook group, which is called the Bare Bones Yoga Facebook Live Workshop Series. And that is an up and running Facebook group, the Bare Bones Yoga Facebook Live Workshop Series. And you can join the group and you'll get all the details uh, and the heads up that the workshops are coming. If you have any questions about this and, and none of it's, you know making sense or some of it is or you have questions just send me a direct message on instagram i'm going to start running some facebook ads next week to get the word out about this uh actually this week i'll share it with my email list i'll share it with social media so you'll have a specific web page where you can opt in to this uh learning event to this workshop series and it'll have the link that you need to the facebook group uh, so that's so that's a I'm super excited. I, I love, love, love sharing the um, the information in the workshops and also opening enrollment because it's a chance for me to help more teachers uh, learn anatomy so that they can confidently teach. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the pelvis. I want to talk about the structure of the pelvis. We're going to talk about positioning of the pelvis in different yoga poses. So this is going to be, you know, an anatomy lesson really focused on that part of the body. So the first thing I want to do is talk to you about just the bony structure of the pelvis. So I want you to envision in your mind a skeleton and specifically hone in on the pelvis itself. And keep in mind, we can talk about the pelvis, which is the collective unit of the pelvis. And we can also talk about it in terms of the two pieces of it. Well, it's really more than two, but the two main pieces that people typically refer to are the two pelvic bones. So you've got a pelvic bone on your left side and a pelvic bone on your right side. And together, those things form the pelvis. And of course, at the back, they're joined at the back at the SI joint with the sacrum. And then the sacrum is joined below it by the coccyx or tailbone. And at the bottom of the posterior aspect of the pelvis are two kind of knobby parts of the bone. And those are your ischial tuberosities, otherwise known as your sitting bones. So if you look at somebody from the front, you'll see, well, obviously, if you're looking at a skeleton, not let's say not a person, if you're looking at a skeleton from the front, you'll see two pelvic bones joined at the back. Well, if you're looking at them from the front, you'll see two pelvic bones joined at the front at the symphysis pubis. And that's if you put your hand right below your belly button by probably about six inches, you'll feel 
the point where your pelvis comes together. And that's the symphysis pubis, or sometimes called the pubis symphysis. When you look at it on a skeleton, it looks like it's got a little cartilage there. It's connect, it's the, the connection between the two pelvic bones on the anterior aspect of the body. If you turn the skeleton around and you're looking at the posterior aspect of the pelvis, that's where you see what I referenced before, the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint, which is where the pelvic bones come together with the sacrum in between. And the sacrum is that kind of diamond shaped bone. And then below the sacrum, there's its connection with the coccyx or tailbone. And then if you look at the two pelvic bones from the back, that's where you'll see those little knobby parts called the sitting bones or ischial tuberosities. Now, if you were to look at each bone individually, you're gonna have kind of the round ledge, if you can kind of trace your finger across it of each pelvic bone. It's got a high point and then it goes down to the front point. And when you hear teachers talk about hip points, whether or not they know this is what they are, those hip points are technically known as anterior superior iliac spine and otherwise known as the ASIS. And it's anterior because it's towards the front, it's superior because it's towards the top, and it's iliac spine because that whole ledge of the pelvic bone is known as the iliac spine. If you trace your finger along that towards the back aspect or the posterior aspect of the body, you get the posterior iliac spine. And um, that is you know, obviously on the back. What we oftentimes refer to as teachers is the ASIS, and again, we refer to them as hip points. Now, when you look at the pelvic bone itself, like two individual bones, you've got the ilium, which is the big part, and you've got the ischium, which is towards the bottom, more in the area of where you're sitting. And the other aspect of each pelvic bone that you should keep in mind is that the femur fits into the cup of the pelvic bone, which is known as the acetabulum. So your femur, the top of the femur, and I bet you can kind of envision this in your mind, the head of the femur fits into the acetabulum of the pelvis. And of course you have two femurs. And so there's an acetabulum on each side. And as we said before, trace around to the front, you've got your symphysis pubis, You've got your ischial tuberosities, you've got the ASIS, which is the hip point in front, and then you've got the posterior superior iliac spine, which is the, if you trace your finger along the iliac spine all the way to the back, that's where that is. So that pretty much covers the bony structure of the pelvis itself. And, you know, of course, I know that talking about this from a structural standpoint over a podcast <laughs> is challenging because you can't see anything. Um, and this is, of course, just one of the other aspects of learning via a podcast. You can't only learn via a podcast, but I actually think it's good to kind of see in your mind's eye as I'm talking, if you can visualize some of this. And then, you know, if you're having some questions, you can always do some supplemental Googling to just see what some of this looks like uh, in, in picture format. So now that we've talked about the bone, the bony structure of the pelvis, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about the movement of the pelvis. Because like right now, if you can stand up and put your hands on your hips, you can start to feel how you can tip your pelvis forward, 
with your hands on your hips, tip so your belly button faces the ground, and then go the other way, tip so your belly button faces the sky. So when you tip so your belly button faces the ground, that's known as an anterior tip. And when you go the other way, tip your pelvis so that the belly button faces up and back, that's a posterior tip. So technically you could use the position of your navel to kind of get a sense of it. What I want you to know though, is that technically what we're looking at is if, if we look at the anterior superior iliac spine, we look at its movement towards the floor as an anterior tip and the opposite towards the ceiling as a posterior tip. Now I'm gonna say right out of the gate, as the pelvis tips anteriorly, the sacrum moves forward. And the sacrum has its own set of movements known as nutation and counter-nutation. I'm not gonna to speak to the posterior aspect of the pelvis right now. I'm gonna stick with a consistent reference to the front of the pelvis as your reference point. So again, you're standing up, your pelvis is neutral. You feel for those hip points. As you direct your hip points to face the ground, your pelvis tips to the front anteriorly. As you tip your pelvic, um, your ASIS or hip points to the ceiling, your pelvis tips posteriorly. So that's movement front to back. Now let's take a look at where are, you know, what are some poses where the pelvis is in different positions such that we just talked about. So baseline is considered neutral. So if you were to look at a skeleton, the pelvis would be set at neutral. If you were to stand in mountain pose, your pelvis would be neutral. But there are also some other poses where you want your pelvis neutral as well from an alignment perspective. Those would include postures like warrior one, right? So that's pretty clear. You have someone step their right foot forward, step their left leg back, both feet are flat, flat on the floor. You want the pelvis to be neutral. You don't want someone to be tipping anteriorly or posteriorly. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't. It just means that from an alignment perspective, you really want to encourage them through different alignment cues to get their pelvis neutral. That's warrior one. I think you can pretty much sense it and feel it and see it in your mind's eye in mountain pose. I'm also going to say though, in warrior two, the pelvis is also neutral. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, in warrior two, the pelvis is turned to the side. Well, yeah, it is, but it's not tipping. So in my view, the pelvis is still in neutral alignment even though its orientation is to the left or the right, depending on which warrior two version you're doing. And then another one I threw in there is eagle pose. I mean, think about it this way. If you were to come into eagle and tip your pelvis anteriorly or posteriorly, I think pretty quickly you'd figure out that's not a particular movement that's included in the alignment of that pose. So these are just some ways to kind of see what neutral alignment of the pelvis looks like in different postures. And we're gonna get in this conversation later uh, to different muscles and how they might be affecting someone's ability to keep the pelvis neutral. But for right now, let's just kind of think about an ideal pose uh, with ideal alignment. These four postures would be looking for neutral alignment of the pelvis, mountain pose, warrior one, warrior two, and eagle. So now let's look at 
what are some poses that baked into them have anterior tipping of the pelvis where you want you want your students to tip their their pelvis anteriorly so the most obvious one is chair we don't want people to sit in a chair like they're sitting straight down we want them to tip the pelvis forward drop the sitting bones back and bend their knees and sit low you know to some degree and so baked into that pose is anterior tipping. It's not bad that the pelvis is anteriorly tipped. It's not something we want to cue people out of. There is a matter of degree, and we'll get to that in a second, but just out of the gate, let's just say we definitely want people to have an anteriorly tipped pelvis in chair. Same with dancer's pose. Think about when you're coming into dancer's pose. You reach your right arm back, you grab for the inner edge of your foot, you take your left arm to the sky, and you start to lean forward. Now, as you lean forward, your belly button is going to start to face the ground. The ASISs on both sides of your pelvis are going to start to tip downward. So there's your anterior tip. Forward fold. If you stand in forward fold, just put your hands on your hip points. They, you're going to very clearly, quickly get a sense that you're anteriorly tipping. And then um, another one is twisting triangle. When you lean forward in twisting triangle, you're anteriorly tipping your pelvis as well. There are other things happening too, but you're definitely anteriorly tipping. Because just think about it, to get into triangle, the first thing you have to do is bend at the hips. So there's your anterior tip right there. So now let's take a look at what are some poses where we're posteriorly tipping. So the two most obvious ones are, to me at least, are bridge and wheel. Um, I'm sure... Oh, even, even like um, Purvottanasana, which is, or even um, reverse tabletop, right? So these would all be scenarios where you want the student to posteriorly tip their pelvis. So we're taking the belly button up and back, we're taking the hips up and back. And then another movement the pelvis can make, and you can feel this if you just stand up and put your hands on your hips. So we did anterior to the front, posterior to the back, but what about lateral tipping? The pelvis can tip laterally to the right or laterally to the left. And you can be darn sure that it does because when we do something like triangle, we laterally tip our pelvis to the right if our right leg is straight, uh, actually both legs are straight, but if we're doing um, triangle where we're tipping to our right side, that would be a lateral tip to the right. Side plank, same thing. Pelvis is laterally tipped. So we've got neutral, anterior tip, posterior tip, and lateral tipping. So those are movements of the pelvis. Now let's take a look at some muscles that affect the position of the pelvis. I want you to think about um, if you looked at a skeleton and you tied a bunch of strings two different parts of the pelvis. And then you kind of manipulated those strings almost like a, a marionette. Um, you would essentially have um, kind of a, 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 a idea of how the muscles act upon the pelvis. So here, if we're thinking about what are some muscles that might create anterior tipping or create posterior tipping, either when we want it to happen or we don't want it to happen, you have to think about, well, what are muscles that are touching the pelvis? So if we have somebody anterior tipping in a posture where we don't really want to see it, 
So remember in warrior one, we want the pelvis to be neutral. What if somebody is anteriorly tipped in warrior one? Well, if they're anteriorly tipped, something is pulling them in that direction, which would give you the idea that something is probably too tight and can't lengthen to the extent that they can keep themselves in a neutral pelvis. And the biggest candidate there would be the psoas. If the psoas as a hip flexor is too tight, even though they're trying to keep their pelvis neutral, there's a good chance they're gonna tip the pelvis forward. The other thing that can do that is if they have a weak gluteus maximus, because the gluteus maximus is a hip extensor muscle. And if they're being pulled into hip flexion, it can be a combination of psoas too tight, glute max too weak, or it could be one or the other. So again, think about the strings as the muscles pulling on the pelvis, tipping it anteriorly. You've got something pulling on the front. You've got something, you know, not resisting that pulling on the back. Now you've got a scenario where the hip flexors are too tight. So you know, this is again, a really good example of why it's so important to have muscles that have a healthy amount of contractibility as well as extensibility, because then those, you know, those puppet strings aren't too tight, but they aren't too loose. You know, everybody coming to yoga saying, I want loose hamstrings, or I want more flexibility in my hamstrings. Talk to somebody who has really loose hamstrings, and they're going to tell you their pelvic positioning is always a challenge because they don't have enough you know, just think of it like a guitar string. It's not taut enough, tight enough that it keeps the pelvis neutral. Um, so there's, I just, I didn't even realize in my notes here, that was what I just had coming up next. So if you have someone posteriorly tipping their pelvis, chances are their hamstrings might be too tight. Another thing that might be doing it is a rectus femoris that's too tight. Remember the rectus femoris runs from the pubic bone, which we already talked about, up to the sternum. And if that's too tight, sometimes it can pull somebody into a posterior tip. So, you know, a remedy for that, if you're gonna stretch the rectus abdominis is just to have somebody lay back over an exercise ball, just kind of stretch out their rectus abdominis or poses like uh, upward facing dog is a really good stretch or wheel, really good stretch for rectus abdominis muscle. Now, um, poses where, I think I already mentioned this, but let me just hone, on, hone in on it again. Poses where we might see anterior tipping and we don't want to. Warrior one, right? We said hip flexors too tight. You're going to potentially see uh, anterior tipping in warrior one. And mountain pose. If you have somebody come into that, especially in a private, come into that first mountain pose and you look at them from the side and you see their pelvis is anteriorly tipping, that's a really good kind of heads up to you that you're probably going to need to do some MFR, some myofascial release to release some tension in the psoas and the other associated hip flexors so that as you move them into practice, those muscles are you know, kind of toned down a bit and the person can move around on the mat without feeling this constant pulling to tip the pelvis downward. Now, poses where we see posterior tipping and we don't want, you, want to is postures like chair pose. You know, when we have somebody come into chair, sometimes teachers will ask them to tuck their sitting bones and if you're really watching people, when you ask them to do that, they might overdo the tucking. 
But again, if their hamstrings are really tight, they might be overdoing that tucking anyway. So it's something to keep in mind. Again, myofascial release would be a really good tool to use for someone who has hamstrings that are too tight. It's going to kind of get in there between the fascia and the muscle and relieve some of that tension. You know, it's communication with the, um, the uh, receptors in the muscle will communicate with the brain and the central nervous system to calm those muscles down a bit. And um, that can really, really be helpful for people. But again, you want to keep in mind, you know, some of these poses have these movements automatically baked in. Obviously, someone's coming into wheel pose. We don't care about the posterior tip because that's, that's part of the posture. Someone's coming into chair you're letting them anteriorly tip their pelvis because that's part of the posture. If someone's doing it excessively though, and this is, you know, I think a question that comes up frequently when someone is in chair, keep in mind, they can overdo the anterior tip. And this can be because they have hem, uh, glute max too weak, uh, so as too tight, they can get to a point where they're really, really tipping their pelvis forward a lot. And the more they tip anteriorly, the more their quote unquote butt sticks out, but it's really not their butt. It's really their tailbone. And it's really not just their tailbone. It's really called hyperextension of the tailbone. It's too much extension of the tailbone. And when the person can't you know, get their pelvis more neutral in warrior one, or when the person is in chair with a lot of anterior tipping, if they have that hyperextension of the tailbone, it can also result in this big, huge caved in lower back. And this is where we have that kind of combination of things. We have too much anterior tip, we have hyperextension of the tailbone, we have a huge lordosis in the lower back, that can be exacerbated by or accompanied by lumbar erector spinae muscles that are like really firing, they're super tight. So they're just creating that very non-optimal scenario of that big deep sway back in the lumbar spine that accompanies that hyperextended tailbone and the excessive anterior tipping of the pelvis. So what you can do as a teacher is connect them to the rectus abdominis and ask them to draw the belly button in, that'll pull up a little bit on the front edge of the uh, sitting bone. I'm sorry, that will create, let me rephrase that. That will create as they engage the rectus abdominis, a bit of a posterior tilt to get out of so much anterior tip and might bring them a little bit more back to neutral. So, you know, keep these things in mind, you know, as you're looking at somebody in a particular pose, just kind of check yourself and be sure, hey, is this tipping of the pelvis part of the pose? For instance, one of the teachers in my program emailed me a couple of days ago and said, in tree pose, do you want to see a lateral tip of the pelvis? I mean, that wasn't literally what she wrote, but that was essentially her question. And really, no, I mean, part of the challenge and part of the benefit of 
of standing balances is we want to try to maintain some of that for some of these balancing poses tree in particular we want to try to maintain that neutral pelvis even though we're asking people to stand on one leg so just think about that as a progression if i ask you to stand in mountain pose and you can keep your pelvis level but now i ask you to just lift your right foot a little bit off the floor can and maintain that neutral pelvis can you do it now can i progress you further and ask you to come into tree pose can you maintain that neutral pelvis if not i'm going to have you go back to just trying to stand on one foot and lift your other foot a little bit off the ground and try to maintain neutral pelvis you know in a posture like tree the the muscles we need to recruit in part are the lateral hip stabilizers. So gluteus medius, gluteus minimus, tensor fascial lata, IT band. We wanna recruit those on the lateral aspect of the hip to keep the pelvis more neutral, even as we come into something like tree. But in a different balance, like dancer's pose, which we already talked about, now, you know, if you didn't already, that the pelvis anteriorly tips in dancer's pose so it's not enough to say we want to keep a neutral pelvis in a balancing posture you have to look at which posture you're talking about to then kind of define in terms of just the out of the box alignment what do i really want to see in this pose and then from there you look at what's happening in front of you you start to examine the cues that you want to use to encourage people into quote unquote good alignment right alignment uh, but you have to start with the fundamental understanding of what are what is the pelvis, what is, what bony parts uh, is it comprised of, how does it move, what muscles might be contributing to different movements that it makes. I mean, this is all the way of learning anatomy so that you can apply it to your teaching, really coming from a place of knowing what the hell you're talking about versus just going all the way to the end point and just saying well here are the poses and here are the cues that never works you need to be able to walk it back to its underpinnings which which reside in the anatomy information and from there now you've got the freedom to explain it any way you want because you hello know what you're talking about <laughs> and that's really where the confidence comes from and that's where the transformation comes from uh and that for the teachers in in my program they always tell me is what really shifted them into embodying this confident teaching is is really knowing that they knew versus the alternatives, which are just memorizing a bunch of things. So I hope you found this helpful today. Um, you know, again, I think it's a good exercise, even though there isn't the visual component to kind of testing yourself and learning the information, maybe relearning it, maybe learning it in a different way without having a picture to look at of a skeleton or the muscles. So this is, you know, absolutely just, you know, one more one more way of learning anatomy and, and I hope it's been helpful for you. So don't forget, um, if you can leave a review on iTunes, I would certainly appreciate it. Any questions or comments, the easiest way is to just send me a DM on Instagram and keep those dates in mind for the workshop series. I'm gonna just uh, look back and tell you again, we're looking at September 9th, 14th and 16th. And you can just go off right now and join that Facebook group if you wanna be part of this 
workshop series in this learning opportunity. It's called the Bare Bones Yoga Facebook Live Workshop Series. And that uh, work group uh, is, that Facebook group is up and running. You can, you can join it when you're ready. All right, guys, well, have a great week. And I will talk to you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thank you so, so much for listening and namaste. Hi, everybody. Karen Fabian here. And thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you hang up, before you disconnect and move on with your day, I just want to let you know, if you're like a lot of the yoga teachers that I talk to, you're looking for ways to break down anatomy into its key parts so that you've got an organized approach for your studying. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way that you can get hold, get a hold of the topics that you should be studying. And they're all reviewed in my Learn Anatomy Challenge. This is a free video series that you can access online, watch the videos, download the guide that goes with it, and you'll essentially have an outline to shape the studying that you're doing because it takes the broad subject of anatomy and breaks it down into just the key topics that you need to know. So in order to get to the Learn Anatomy Challenge free video series, you're going to need to go to the special URL, the special web page that holds these videos. So if you're driving right now, you're probably not going to be able to obviously write this down. If you're able to write this down, I want you to just grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down this URL. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you the link directly. If you're looking for the URL, you want to just go to it yourself. Uh, I'm going to give it to you right now. It is barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn anatomy challenge forward slash. And in between the words learn anatomy challenge are hyphens. So it's learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge and then forward slash. So again, I'll just read you the URL, barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge forward slash. So that's the webpage that holds all of these videos. There's nine of them. Uh, and you can go through those and you can take notes. You can print out the uh, guide that goes with it. That would be uh, that will be a great companion guide to have in front of you as you're going through these videos. So again, if you have any trouble getting to it, just send me a direct message on Instagram and I'm happy to send you the link directly. Don't be on your own trying to study anatomy. Use this free video series to hone in on just the topics that you need to know. Good luck. <laughs>